0: We acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the gathering grounds for many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples, whose footsteps mark this land and whose presence continue to enrich our vibrant community.
1: Hello and welcome back to Research Recasted, the Knowledge Mobilization Podcast. I'm Brittany Eklund and I'm here with Dylan Cave. This summer, we're taking some time to catch up with last season's researchers. Today, we're following up with Episode 15 researcher Josh Toth. And we're going to talk about a vampire flick. We highly recommend you go back and give Josh's episode a listen before we dive in today. Um, So thank you for being here, Josh. I know you are experiencing a little bit of jet lag. A little. Um, So I guess this is a good place to start. You just got back from Glasgow?
2: Uh, Actually, I I just got back from France, but I was in... (laughs) Glasgow before France. So,
1: yeah. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about um yeah, just the c- conferences and traveling around the world right now? Maybe?
0: Yeah, I mean like how the heck is traveling in Europe right now?
2: Europe was fine. Uh, uh trains, everything was good. Um you wouldn't you wouldn't almost know there was a pandemic recently once you're oral in Europe uh, or a <laughs> war. Yeah, even the war, I mean where I was, I wasn't I wasn't close or anything like that, but um the the plane, though, coming back was terrible. And I, I don't know if it was WestJet or or all the airliners, uh, but it, it was terrible. I flew into Glasgow, and then I, I went to York for a bit, and, and then I trained through the channel into Paris and um, met my family, and we had a couple weeks or a week and a half vacation and just got back now. So, uh, yeah, I, I recommend going to Europe, just if you can get there without flying. Um Deal like take one of those old titanic uh, two. yeah 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 titanic two whatever yeah not not i wouldn't go on anything called the titanic maybe but uh yeah
1: um so you were at glasgow for a conference though correct
2: that's right yeah okay
1: yeah. and can you tell us what did you present
2: um so yeah glasgow was this um mla symposium so the modern language association symposium which was actually supposed to happen in twenty twenty one, I think. So I think my paper for it was accepted in twenty twenty, wow. um, and then, then it was canceled, and and then it, for a while it was going to be online, and then it wasn't online, and then it was going to be hybrid, and all these different things. And finally, they did it at the University of Glasgow um, in just to start the first week of, of of June, and and the paper was on this movie, uh, this what you called a vampire movie, Twixt. Mm-hmm. Uh, a relatively recent Francis Ford Coppola movie, which I think you're going to ask me about later, so I won't say that much about. But um, the the whole conference was on hospitality and themes of hospitality. Um, so there's lots of talk about refugees, and um, I, I think it was kind of an interesting thing because everybody had uh, conceived their papers before Ukraine, and but I think <laughs> the theme of it was was all of a sudden apropos in terms of the war and And no one was really ready to talk about it, but yet wanted to talk it was, so it, was it was a kind of interesting situation and i I wasn't talking about those s- sorts of themes at all. I was talking about this weird vampire movie. and I think everyone was like, "What's this guy doing here?" <laughs> um but yeah, it was great uh, part of it was at this sex site, this um uh exhibition Glasgow exhibition center, and then part was at at the University of Glasgow, which is I think the fourth oldest university in europe, and it was Incredible uh, site, although no one could find the room, (laughs) (laughs) much
0: like our podcast studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's—I
2: mean, this is sort of like some sort of weird replication. This building with the with the Harry Potter stairs and and all this kind of stuff. It's like, how could we make it as difficult as possible for students to find their classroom? I know, changing stairs. Yeah, changing stairs. I'm sure somebody at one point said, "Can we get those stairs to move?"
1: So Twixt is a Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) Vampire movie? Question
2: mark? Yeah, well, I mean, that's not that weird, actually, right? He did Dracula, uh, you know, one of the greatest movies of all time, if you ask me. Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula with Gary Oldman.
1: Oh, that's Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah,
2: yeah, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's incredible, and 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 that movie's so neat because uh, he insisted on only using technology from the late nineteenth century when the book was written in order to do the special effects. So there is no modern day special effects in that movie which makes it seem so lush and like uh, grounded in a lot of ways. It's I, I think it's an incredible movie. But but yeah, he did that. That was one of his big movies. Um, you know, and obviously he did The Godfather and 2 and 3 and Apocalypse Now and all these sorts of things, but starting in about 2000, he retired. And he said he was going to just do whatever he wanted basically. And he, he has a bunch of money apparently cause he owns a vineyard. Okay. And he has like his own wine line. And so he's just been going around with like a, a trailer of his own equipment, making these weird sort of art house movies. And, and he claims that that's always what he wanted to do. And that even like, like the Godfather, he didn't want to make that movie. He, he sort of was coerced by the studios to make this movie and he's always felt that he's been sort of sacrificing his integrity in in some sort of way. Like even his great movies, he'll be like, "Yeah, but that that's not what I would have wanted to make." Right? Maybe, maybe Apocalypse Now, he'd be like, "You know, <laughs> the, the, you think he he'd feel that was real art? Like they're using real corpses?" So I don't know.
1: Wait, what?
2: Yeah, in Apocalypse Now. I th- they're supposed to be real. Like some of the dead bodies are actually dead bodies. Oh my god! The, the, it's, it's there there's How is that <laughs> ethic. Ooh. No, there's, there's all kinds of. Well, I know circums- the
1: scene at the end and like we I actually just recently watched this within the last few months and like it's really hard for me to watch the end scene with the bull because I'm like I know what's happening but I'm also like eat meat so I'm like look at it.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know no, that that whole movie is is uh ethically problematic. I mean, it, and there's there's lots of documentaries about it, including the one I think Cope was a copless wife made called Hearts of Darkness. Which is like the making of it, and everyone was just going insane on set. And mm-hmm. You can see it in the movie. It's, it's. I think it's why it's so good. But, anyways, the going back to Twix. So, what Twix is 2012, and um, when I tell you about this movie, you have to realize that I was at this conference on hospitality, and most people were talking about like immigration and like like, you know, very sort of traditional forms of hospitality. And I just started my paper describing this movie. I didn't explain why. I just was like, I wanna talk about this Twix movie. And in 2012, he makes this movie called Twix. And it's one of these movies where he just went to the cheapest country he could, that had the lowest taxes, brought this trailer of equipment that he had, and was just gonna make this movie. And he hired uh, Val Kilmer to, to, to star in it, and Bruce Dern is in it, and Ella Fanning. So it has, has actually a, quite a good cast. And, the, and the, the movie is the story of this guy named Hal Baltimore who just drives into this small town in America called Swan Valley. And he's like a, he's described by Tom Waits at the start. Tom Waits is the narrator. Nice. <laughs> yeah, as a third string horror writer. And he's, he's in Swan Valley to do a book signing, but they don't even have a bookstore their bookstore is actually their hardware store, so he, he ends up at this hardware store, and he's supposed to be doing these book signings of these witch books that he writes, and he hates them because he's compromised, and he doesn't want to be writing them anymore. And his wife is like, "You got to keep writing these so that we can pay our bills," and uh, his his agent is like, "You got to keep writing, get writing," and so he's stuck in this town, and in this town, all these weird things are happening. So, ah. Uh, a young girl's turned up with a stake through her heart. Uh, she's dead. Oh, she has a stake in her heart. Uh, but, but, <laughs> and and so the, the, the sheriff shows him this because the sheriff is a fan and wants to write a book with him. And he's like, I think there's somebody, there's a vampire serial killer. Not that the serial killer's a vampire, but they, they execute vampires. And I think they have this like machine, this little like vampire execution machine. And I think we should write a novel about it. Will you write this with me? And- Baltimore's like, I don't, I don't know. And it's like this sort of late Val Kilmer. So he's very sort of flat affect and, and chubby and, you know, all these sorts of things. And so in the town also, there's a seven-face clock. So you can see the time from anywhere in the town, but all the clock faces have different times and they can never be aligned ever for some reason. The 12 children were murdered by a pastor in some mythic past there's maybe vampire teenagers living across the river. And um, Edgar Allan Poe stayed in the town, apparently, once for one night in the same place where these, these kids were killed. And so Hal Baltimore starts having these dreams. And in the dreams, he meets Edgar Allan Poe, who sort of tells him the story of the town. And in his dreams, you, Coppola cuts to this weird faux black and white with like, little pops of color everywhere. And it's like really garish. Like everything about the movie is garish. Like even the, the, the lighting of the color sequences are like, it's overproduced. Everything just seems fake. And even at one <laughs> point, uh, hell Baltimore c- climbs up the clock tower or the, the, um, stairs of the clock tower. And, uh, 3D glasses come onto the screen and like they, they pull over like as if you're supposed to put them on. Oh my gosh. And then they come on only for two minutes like, as if, but but also there's no 3D So and, and you don't have glasses so it doesn't make any sense and and there's a rumor that, that Coppola actually when he made the movie he was going to go with it when it aired and um, be at every screening and as people watched it he would cut it live so he'd like let scenes play out longer or like mix... The, the the sound what? differently depending on how people were responding. It didn't work, apparently.
0: That's a lot.
2: Well, yeah, like, I, I don't even know how, how that would work, but
0: <laughs> it's, it's a
2: rumor. Anyways, Coppola says in interviews, you know, what this movie is an instance of him trying to be the auteur filmmaker he always wanted to be. And so you have Hal Baltimore, you know, running around trying to figure out the mystery of these dead people and this young girl um, who's a ghost in his dreams, played by Ella Fanning who's like this goth a uh, girl that shows up who's 12, maybe 13, and is named Virginia, which is the name of Edgar Poe's uh, wife, cousin wife. Cousin wife, married, yeah. Married when she was 13 and, and who died of tuberculosis uh, later on. And one time you find out that this this Virginia was walled up like in the cast of a Amontillado, one of Poe's stories oh by my the pastor. And, um, and, and so it's just this ridiculous movie. But then towards the end, uh, Baltimore has one of these dreams and he starts recording the dream because he knows this is the this is going to be his new book and he says in the movie I want to write a book that's personal like that's about me and and that's that's true to me and so it, it's almost like an exact quote from Coppola's own interviews about the movie and he starts writing notes like he's like oh this dream's going to be great for for my new book but then as he's writing the notes, his notes start to produce the dream. So he starts, like, reading the notes before it happens in the dream. And then the the dream starts to do what he's writing. And then Poe just shows up and takes, <laughs> <Why not>? him, <laughs> takes him over to this, like, faux uh, green-screened cliff. And Val and Kilmer's character goes, oh, I'm so scared. There's this little cliff here. I feel so so scared by this little cliff, and and Poe casts his lantern, which is glowing yellow in the black and white footage over this cliff, and it's this deep crevice, like hugely deep crevice, but obviously green screened, and at the bottom of it is this river, and it's also obviously green screened, and Poe leads Hell Baltimore to look over this this cliff, and they, they're looking down, the camera's over them, and so the black and white is faux, and then the cliff is fake, and then The river is fake. And this Virginia girl, played by Al Fanning's face, is superimposed over top of the river, which is flowing. And then a motorboat starts driving to the left of the screen. And all of a sudden, Baltimore starts to cry. And he says, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. And and Poe says, you know, if you go any further now, this story is going to be your story. The end will be your end. There won't be any coming back from it and he goes yeah this is it this is this is when my daughter died and and I could have went with her on this boating trip and this boating accident uh, but I was hungover and I thought they were just playing with boats I didn't realize it was a real boating trip and and that's when she died so they're watching how baltimore's daughter die but it's oh, all wow. superimposed right mm-hmm. and then uh, Ella Fanning's face turns into his daughter's face, again, superimposed as this boat's going across. And then two other boats show up on the river, and between them is a tow rope. So two boats on either side of this river, way down below, with a tow rope, and this other boat coming straight at it, right? And so you know, apparently, what killed Hell Baltimore's daughter. Ah. But this moment is actually a, Like as accurate of a representation as you could get of the death of Francis Ford Coppola's son, who actually died in a boating accident. His well, he was working on a movie with Coppola, and he went on this boating trip with a friend, and the friend went to cut in between two boats, didn't see the tow line.
1: Oh my god. Ducked at the
2: last minute, but Coppola's son didn't, and this killed him. And so there's all of a sudden this incredibly profound moment that's super personal, super effective, uh, like as an affect toward the end of the movie. And you're, you're seeing Coppola representing, you know, this very brutal actual death of his, his, his son, this sort of defining trauma of his own life. And just, you know, when you think about it, like even as a parent or even if you're not a parent, like just trying to like make that scene, cut it, like, Getting it accurate and watching then watching
0: it over and, uh, and over. over,
2: yeah. And then, you know, and then giving it to. And so, this is what I was interested in is why, why would Coppola put the most intimate, most traumatic event of his life in this weird vampire?
0: And fairly early on in the movie.
2: No, no, no. this is right at the end, okay. actually. It's, it's almost right at the end. The, the last thing that happens after this is Baltimore wakes up. And then he goes into the sheriff's office, finds that the sheriff has committed suicide because he was the the vampire murderer, looks at the face of the girl who was staked and sees that it is this Ella Fanning, but that's impossible because she's actually from like the 30s or something, right? And pulls the stake out of her heart. And then she wakes up, turns into a vampire and then kills him.
1: Nice. But then
2: right when he's killing her, (laughs) when she's killing him, there's a smash cut. And then he's sitting in front of his agent with his new book. And his agent's like, it's pure gold. This is meat on the bone. And then there's a a, a final sort of intertitle. And it goes, Hell Baltimore's Vampire Executions, that's the name of the book, sold 30,000 copies, which is fair business. And that's like the end of the movie. That's it. And so there's this idea of like selling yourself, you know, making art, the relationship of the artist within the art and all these sorts of things. And I was just interested in how this work is a sort of, work of narrative hospitality in the sense of letting viewers into something so intimate mm-hmm. so profound but yet in this really crass way right like the movie is so obviously invested in fakery and cliché and genre and and all these fictional things And how Coppola is very strategically using these sort of devices to both allow us into something that he can't really express. He can't really tell us in any sort of way that would be what it is for him, right? It's too personal. It's too much. But yet at the same time, showing us what it is, allowing us to feel it, but knowing the whole time that it's sort of registering in this this fictional form, and that that we're not really getting it, we're getting a, a sort of uh, aspect of it. Or, you know uh,
0: what's you know what's really interesting about that is the you know the the f- the fakeness that you were talking about, like the the so so blatantly fake part. I just last night went and watched one of the original Godzilla movies, the Japanese ones, and yeah. how awfully cut they are how but you you know i tried bringing myself out of 2022 and tried bringing myself back to the time that this was actually produced and it's like well the special effects that they do is probably was probably amazing back then and like the emotion that they're trying to portray and then there's people in the audience laughing at some really serious parts because of the way they're cut and things like that and it's it's really interesting how it changes but then you use this 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 more modern the movie that is kind of going back to those old special effects things where it's kind of like wearing your heart on your sleeve almost where you're showing yourself in such a raw form they don't need the special effects to tell this story because it's supposed to be intimate it's supposed to be it's supposed to show the true self and the true self isn't CGI
2: yeah yeah i think so but at, at the same time i mean CGI is a lie of transparency in some ways like like i remember watching uh, the last Mission Impossible movie with a friend and uh not not the newest one, whatever that is, like two part epic or something, right? Like it's like, look at how many stunts I can do. <laughs> and but but that last one and where he I don't know if you've seen it, but he he jumps out of the plane. Um, there's this skydiving scene, which he he trained for over a year of doing two jumps a day or something like That's that. Insane. Just to and then like the camera guys with them like jumping and and I remember watching it. There's, there's another one, too, where he comes through on his motorbike in between two moving cars, and he pulls a, like it just right through, and the camera's on him. There's no cuts. And I remember knowing going in that he'd done all these stunts himself and that, they, that there's no CGI, and this was really important to him. And I was sitting with my friend watching it, and I'm like, it seems like such a waste because everyone in this audience, like this generation of millennials and younger – they could care less because it, it, it <laughs> when you see the sky diving scene, it's like, yeah, that's in a Marvel movie. Like Captain America does that all the time, and there's no sense that this realness is any different than that CGI version in you know, uh, Civil War, wh- wherever you see it, right? And so, all of this, even like the the, the stunt with the, the motorbike, it's, it's not impressive because they don't register a difference between the actual and, and like, CGI has got virtual. to a point where, you know, I, I mean, with monsters and stuff like that, you can be like, oh, that's CGI, too much mm-hmm. CGI or whatever. But with a lot of, like, stunt work, like when when somebody's falling off a building or whatever, you just don't know. Like, it's all deep faked, right? Like, at that point, like, you just can't tell. And so having uh, Tom Cruise falling you know, skydiving for, you know, whatever it is, like 10,000 kilometers. So, you know, like, that could be fake. and Or it could not be. I don't know. I don't care. But the, the
0: earnestness of this being such, such blatant fake in, in this Twixt movie, what what kind of comment do you think is there?
2: Well, I think that, that that's the thing, is, is you can't avoid the fakeness, right? So... You have not play to play into it. Yeah. So, but you, so, you have to, as a viewer, when you see even that, this, this moment, I mean, it's the difference between um, like a biography movie, like, I don't know, The Imitation Game or something like that, um, where, you know, we're sort of, and we can think of that in terms of CGI as well, like um, where a lot of these bio movies are designed to give us, you know, a good, a good instance is uh, Walk the Line you know? Yeah. And um, walk the line. Biofiction? You, yeah. Something like that? It, it, it's, it's fiction. It's biofiction, yeah. But when you watch it as a, as a sort of regular viewer, you're just like, oh, well, now I know Johnny Cash, right? <laughs> like, like, I do. Like, I, I have an idea. Oh, so he, you know, he, he was trying to do country music or whatever, and, and it was just same old, same old, and then he came up with Folsom Prison or whatever. And I get it, and I get how he fell in love with June Carter and, and all this sort of stuff but narratively it's faux, but that faux is, is, is so transparent that it doesn't register as faux. It just, that's the point of it, right? It's supposed to come across as it's like Hollywood, you know, um, continuity editing. You're not supposed to notice it. You're not supposed to see it, right? When, when it cuts like match on action or match on whatever, the the idea is that you don't really register that it took five cuts to get Liam Neeson over that fence or whatever, right? Like 70 year old Liam Neeson who has like such a incredible (laughs) set of skills that with, with biography or something like that, the narrative arc is so perfect. You don't notice the absences, what you're not getting, what you don't know about Johnny Cash or what you can't understand. So even in, in walk the line, when you, when he sings Walk the Line, it's suggested that he wrote that and this is dedicated to June Carter, but it wasn't, right? So, but, but narratively, that works so well, right? Like, obviously, it's for June that he walks the line. And that's probably true. Um, but that doesn't mean he wrote the song for yeah. her. But, but, and so on and so forth. Whereas something like this, Coppola is saying, you can't get this. And that's what the movie is saying, like, over and over again. All you can get is a sort of doubling effect. And, in fact, the movie is all about doubles. Like, hell, Baltimore. Baltimore is 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 a direct link to Poe. So Poe and Baltimore are, are doubles. Um, Poe and the pastor, the pastor and the sheriff, they all sort of, all these doubles are, are echoing. At one point, Poe even says, you know, this this character in this movie is just like my character in my my stories, who are just so many versions of my Virginia, so my Lygia and my you know Lady Usher and my you know that there's all these levels of you know efforts to sort of capture something that really can never be given because it's too it's too real, right? Anything that's truly real, like the death of a son. Um, never mind the death of a son in a horrific boating accident is nothing you could ever relate to somebody. Not never. Not not what it means to you. Not what it really was. All you can do is sort of suggest that there's something you don't get, right? And 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 give them the artifice of it so that they know. But to give them the artifice with the illusion that they got the whole thing, that they feel the whole thing, that they know you and they know what happened is always going to be the lie. So the, the truth comes from stressing the lie, not from hiding it as the truth, right? And I think that that's what Coppola's up to. And I think, you know, the, the fact that, that, that it ends too with, You know, this book sold 30,000 copies and that's pretty fair business. It's almost like a a complete echo of the movie itself, which is supposed to be, you almost have to imagine the book, right? So there's another layer Mm -hmm. of doubling, which did just terrible business. Like no one knows this movie. Like I was in Glasgow and everyone was just staring at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, And
1: that's like, I definitely want to know how this was received on this topic of hospitality because I think it's like a fascinating way that you connected that
2: yeah they it was you could tell i mean this this is typically my experience at, at conferences, but people were just like, "What is going on right now <laughs> so but but I mean I, I I was connected to the other papers on the panel in the, in the sense of the the sort of theoretical investigation I was doing and and some of the philosophers I was bringing up and things like that, but so that that's where the discussion went, but everyone seemed very uncomfortable with this movie. Uh, or, or even what I was trying to do with it, because it it was so odd and so so unconventional in the sense of like you know everyone else was talking about you know some famous you know Salman Rushdie or something like that right like and um, I was just like let's talk about this really terrible Coppola movie for a second like why would he why would he put this moment in this movie what's he up to what's he trying to do so it was received inhospitably oh. you know i I, th- I think in some level like like it was sort of like i and i think that was kind of the point is is it's sort of like i don't this isn't clear enough this isn't obvious enough and that's what we sort of always want and i think that's what Coppola's getting at like he doesn't want a movie that's so well received that it misses its point right that, that it's he wants it to be difficult, and he wants it to be uh, obscure or or something like that. Fair sometimes, business. yeah, <laughs> so, fair business. Yeah, fair business. Just fair enough, you know. Yeah. And 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 that that's you know, we like to talk about you know things should be that hospi- hospitality should be about being accessible and being open. But sometimes maybe it's not about being open. It's about actually sort of. Um, sustaining a sort of sense almost not of hostility but but of, of foreignness right because that 's what you're being hospitable to is the sense of foreignness if you if you if you insist on erasing the foreignness then you're not actually being hospitable you're not being welcoming you're just saying you can come you can be with me if you 're the same as me if if everything you know if, if, if everything you do I get and I understand and i 'm okay with right but <laughs> hospitality is is really about accepting otherness mm-hmm. and and accepting its intrusiveness its 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 inability to be explained and i think that's that's at the heart of expressing the self mm-hmm. and being hospitable about that is sort of saying this is me you know um emerson talks about this um this idea that if you're really going to be friends with somebody you're almost you almost have to be aloof from the friendship. You, you almost have to be indifferent to who that person is. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't need to know them to be a true friend. In fact, you shouldn't try to know them <laughs> because that would be an erasure of them. It would be a sort of flattening of, of, of difference. You know? So t- true friends are, have this sort of uh, hostility almost. To each other
1: interesting um yeah we are coming up to the end of our t- no that's okay i could
2: talk to you for
0: days um, like this yeah is, i always love having these conversations well, i think talk it's about really movies, whatever
1: interesting too like this is your job to show up and be like let's talk about this vampire movie. <laughs> which is very cool oh, uh, so, so cool. congratulations on locking that down um so the I last <laughs> question <laughs> that we want to ask um because we did in our first episode talk about the matrix the new Matrix movie came out.
2: Just terrible. Okay, yeah. excellent. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think moving on <laughs> is this, but like when I was watching it, I was thinking of um, in our last conversation we were talking about meta and when meta works and when meta doesn't, and I think that this new movie was like it was so meta it made me want
2: to puke. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> it's funny because I thought it worked at the start. Like I did, I I thought, okay, this is a kind of neat idea. Um, But I thought it would be, it would, the the really cool move I thought would be to just sustain it, like to not go back to the matrix. Yes. Just to let it be like, so that none of that happened, you know, like that would have been great. And just, and let, let the movie be about him suffering this unknowability. Right. And, and not knowing whether, you know, he, he just made this up or, or if, it was real in some sort of sense and, and have that all that doubling going on, like with, with Trinity and all that kind of stuff. Like he's seeing these echoes of, of his own creation and then look at the way in which something can be created, um, artificial, but yet make a reality, uh, yeah. sort of a subsequent reality. That would have been cool. But then it just went back to, to a really bad version of the original movies, yeah. right? Like, like the, the editing was maybe some of the worst editing, and I, I'm not that picky of a of viewer, but I mean, there, there's moments when like punches obviously don't hit, yeah, like just because of where the camera is or where when they cut the the scene. Um, there's there's one of the great things about all the Matrix movies, no matter what you say about like two or three, is the choreography mm-hmm. and and the cinematography is always cool and and always. Um, very, very sort of rigorous in, in its efforts to do something. There's nothing yeah. here. And, and it was just. Well, yeah, and it's like just...
1: the bad guy, the new agent is not the same guy. But like, I feel like there was a point in the movie where he just looks directly into the camera. And I was like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion. because I was like, it's too much. Like you're t- being too self-aware and being like, yeah. wink, wink, see what we're doing. Like, yeah. 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 If he had just been a video game designer who was like obsessed with a chick that went to his coffee shop yeah, and yeah. wrote her into the game, that would have been a cool movie. Yeah, and then you are also left never yeah. knowing. No, that
2: that would have been great, right? And I mean, but in a way, it was sort of built into the Matrix from the beginning. I think we talked about this last time. I mean, this is there's this, a cold sort of problematic certainty about those movies that there is this reality, right? And so the movie can't. I, I mean, it's sort of Hard, hard baked into the concept that uh, we're going to get these sort of answers in these movie in, in this movie. So I don't think the the philosophy behind the Matrix as a concept would have ever allowed that movie you just described. This sort of this this uncertainty and and learning to sort of live with this in, inability to differentiate. Um, the artificial from the real and and their relationship to each other, like which produces which and this sort of infinite feedback loop that they get caught up in. It just and, and I mean Keanu Reeves in a lot of ways has grown as an actor, right? Like and so he was playing this. Like I, I think he did a really good job.
1: He always does a good job. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: and <laughs> I just think he's John Wick in every movie now. Oh there you go. well there's that yeah yeah yeah. I mean I, I think it's just a with Keanu Reeves it's just a matter of generation, right? Like mm-hmm. all I ever see is is Ted, you know. Oh my gosh, um, yeah, and I <laughs> see and Neo, Ted. and you yeah, see yeah. John Wick. Yeah, but yes, I mean, I, yeah, it, it was just a poorly made movie, and I mean, I think if you were going to do it, you had to do it with some sort of really cool uh concept. But all, all it really was was it was almost like, oh shit, we really. <laughs> Missed the boat on the whole representation of Trinity. I, I I felt like that's what the whole movie was was like. We should have made Trinity, you know, more important. Yeah. Originally, so yeah. we'll do it this time.
1: We'll make her very important in this very bad. Do you think they yeah.
0: played like, you know, you call it a a, a bad film? Uh, do you think they they played into? Um, the fan element too much to the movie. Sometimes I see that in, you know, maybe Star Wars where they throw in, like, fan Easter eggs. It's like, oh, you saw that in the first movie, but they brought it back here, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with this story.
2: Yeah, I, I think they did, but I think they were trying to do it in reverse, right? Like, I think they were trying to make fun, in fact, of of fans. Like, the, the sort of co-option of the... What what what's the pill? The red pill. Which pill yeah. are you supposed to take? Um, you're supposed to take the red pill, right? Like to, to wake up, exit from the, the matrix. Yes, you take the red pill, right? And so, I mean, the didn't the, the political right take this idea of of you know of of you're, you're being you're you're all eating the blue pill or whatever, right? And so, I think there was an effort to sort of point out we're aware of how this has been appropriated and we're aware of fan sort of toxicity maybe in the background and 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 maybe go well okay so it's okay now because we know so now it's not a problem but I mean in a way the fact that that movie was appropriated in that way speaks to some of his problematic philosophy like from the start that that you know it's it's not a coincidence that that the political right saw in it a sort of argument for conspiracy theory and for mm-hmm. you know this idea of this absolute truth that that's being hidden from you and that you need to wake up from because that's what it's saying. I mean and, and it, it is very essentialist in that like to the point of you know you have a right to go and kill people because the truth is out there.
1: So the Matrix and not Donald Trump should be on trial for January 6th. <laughs> this is where it started folks.
2: Yeah, no, and then I, before I don't know. 1984, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know about that. I, I, I but hot um, take. But, but uh, no, I think Trump's. Yeah, I, I. It it didn't help, and I I I just think, yeah, it's it was a bad movie. I think yeah. It's <laughs> okay,
1: well, that's the a day. good place to leave it. Yeah.
0: Josh, thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I think that you could have your own series on just describing movies to people, <laughs> and you would do very well.
1: You should. You should petition the English department. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I, I, I basically do
2: that already. You know, oh. So, I, I mean, I can't. I just taught Black Dynamite, so... <laughs> Can I really complain? (laughs) No. I just got home from Glasgow in France and I teach Black Dynamite.
1: All right.
0: (laughs) Living the
2: dream. Okay.
0: Living the dream.
1: This has been a Research Recasted reunion. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for more follow-ups with our researchers. Please visit us on Instagram at Research Recasted to give us a like and a follow. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you like to listen.
0: This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McCune University. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design and editing by Dylan Cave with research, copy editing and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Our executive producer is Ray Burry.